The award-winning Disney film Frozen offers a great illustration of the type of behavior that we see from the crowds in John Chapter 6. Let me issue a spoiler alert if you haven't yet seen Frozen and you plan to do that at some point. In the film, the sheltered, shut-in Princess Anna of Arendelle meets the charming and good-looking Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. After only just meeting each other, the two decided that it was true love and that they were meant to be together, and Hans proposes to Anna. Fast forward toward the end of the film, when Anna needs a true love's kiss to break a curse that was placed upon her. Hans leans in close and maliciously whispers, Oh, Anna, if only there was someone out there who loved you. Hans then goes on to explain that he was 13th in line for his own kingdom and only wanted to marry Anna in order to become the king of Arendelle. Luckily, everything ends up working out for a happy ending. But Hans had no interest in having a relationship with Anna. He was only interested in the benefits that marrying her could offer. And this is exactly what we see from the crowd in John chapter 6. This is the last week of our Not A Fan series, and when we started the series way back six weeks ago, we talked about this scene in John chapter 6. Great crowds were following Jesus, and by now, he was at the height of his popularity. Word had spread about the miraculous healings and the inspirational teachings that he offered. So huge crowds gathered to cheer him on, and we're told that uh, the day before the scripture reading we had today, there were 5,000 men who had gathered to listen to him preach. But that was only the men. Likely the crowd size was more like 15,000. After a full day of listening to him teach, Jesus knew that the crowds were getting hungry. And so he turned to his disciples and he asked, what are these people going to do for food? 15,000 mouths is a lot to feed. One of the disciples, Philip, told Jesus that even if they had eight months wages, it wouldn't be enough money to buy bread for everyone to have a single bite. From Philip's perspective, this wasn't their problem. And even if it was, there wasn't really anything that they could do about it. Philip was thinking very practically. But another disciple, Andrew, had been scanning the crowd, and he told Jesus of a boy in the crowd that had five loaves of bread and two small fish. I can almost picture Andrew making this announcement with a smile on his face and a sense of expectation of what Jesus might do next. And Jesus didn't disappoint, did he? He took the boy's sack lunch and he fed the entire crowd with it. And the Bible tells us that even after everyone ate their fill, there was plenty of food left over. Well, after dinner, the crowd decided to camp out for the night so that they can be with Jesus the next day. They're committed fans, right? But the next morning, the crowd wakes up and they're hungry again. And they start looking around for Jesus, a.k.a. their meal ticket. But he's nowhere to be found. Eventually, they figure out that Jesus and his disciples had crossed over to the other side of the lake. Well, instead of going home, they make the trip to the other side of the lake to be with Jesus. The crowd seems to have no higher priority than being with Jesus. So maybe they're not just fans after all. By the time they catch up with Jesus, they're starving. They've missed the chance to order breakfast and they want to find out what's on the lunch menu. But Jesus has decided that it's time to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. He's not handing out any more free samples. In verses 26 through 27, we read this. Jesus says to the crowd, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. 
And Jesus decides that it's time to have the DTR talk, the define the relationship talk with this crowd. He knows that these people aren't going to all the trouble and sacrifice because they're following him, but because they want to follow the food. How would they respond when the drive through window closed? In verse 35, Jesus offers himself to them. But the question is, would that be enough? Is Jesus enough? Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. And so as we examine the question of whether Jesus is enough in our lives, there are four points that I want to make this morning. And the first one is this. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one that you were really hungry for. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one you were really hungry for. When there are no other options, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. I'll change the names and tweak the scenarios, but I want to tell you some of the people I know who have gone from fan to follower over the years. These are people who found out what it means to see Jesus as the bread of life. Ed came forward after losing his job. He had been an executive living an executive lifestyle, but he wasn't sure now how he would pay the bills and the stress was taking its toll both on his physical health and on his marriage. For the first time in his life, he wasn't self-sufficient. For the first time in his life, his prayers weren't just repetitive phrases that he learned as a child. He was really in need. Desperate, he turned to God in a way that he never would have had he not lost his job. It was easy enough for him to be a fan of Jesus making half a million dollars a year. But for the first time in his life, it wasn't enough to be a fan. Now Ed is a follower. Kathy was married for more than 20 years when her husband decided that he wanted to be single. Since she was a little girl, she had gone to the same church, but because of the divorce, she was no longer welcome there. She came to another church broken and bitter, but for the first time, this lifelong churchgoer began to see how the Bible spoke directly to her. Each weekend, she felt like God was speaking right into her life, and she decided to listen. In her loneliness, in her bitterness, in her depression, she heard the message of Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And she became a follower. Then there was June. Her car was struck by a semi, and she died instantly. A wonderful Christian lady, always in the church, always praying for her husband, Bob. And Bob would visit once a year on Mother's Day just to appease his wife. He would sit there with his eyes closed throughout most of the sermon, his arms crossed throughout most of the service, making it clear that he would rather be somewhere else. During the funeral, for the first time, it seemed like Bob was really listening, like maybe God was speaking to him. And later that evening, the pastor went to their house and her Bible was out and he had been reading it. And a few weeks later, he went down the same aisle that his wife's casket had been carried down. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm ready. 
And there are plenty of stories that I could tell you. Daughter is diagnosed with cancer. Parents get divorced. The addiction seems unbeatable. A future seems overwhelming. A relationship falls apart. And something happens. Suddenly having a little religion isn't enough. Suddenly the spectacle, the fish and the loaves, the Sunday service doesn't cut it anymore. And in those moments, those times, that Jesus is the only thing left on the menu, that's when we find out that he's exactly what we need. He becomes more than just some mythical guy wearing a robe and a blue sash. He becomes the only hope. So here in John chapter 6, the crowd has to decide if Jesus is enough. Are they hanging around for the perks, or is it really about the relationship? Do you remember what happened? The fans turned and went home. And here's what we read at the end of John chapter 6. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And in the long run, that's what's going to happen. Scripture tells us that wide is the road that leads to destruction, and that's the one that many people take. In the end, whether we like it or not, many just won't accept Christ's invitation. They like the idea of heaven. They like the miracles. They like the bread. They like the excitement. They like the free show. They like the chance to be around good people. They like the feeling that being part of a church offers. But when Jesus wipes all of that off the table and offers himself and only himself, they aren't interested. After we read that the disciples had left, Jesus turned to his 12 apostles and he said, you don't want to leave too, do you? Now, the scripture doesn't tell us how he said that. I don't know if he was frustrated or angry, but my guess is that he spoke with a tone of disappointment or sadness because it became clear that many people weren't following him for him. They were only following him for the show or the food. And even though he was God, that must have broken his heart. Think about it this way. How would you feel if you started to date someone and uh, you went to the movies on your first date, you paid for the popcorn and the drinks and the tickets. And after the date, you ask them out again and they say yes. So you take them somewhere nicer this time, maybe a nice restaurant. You let them order anything off the menu and when the bill comes, you pick it up and you pay it. And with each date, you have more and more fun with this person, and you really feel like you're connecting with them. And just when you think things are going really well and getting really serious, you ask them out on a special date. And they agree, and you pick them up, and you surprise them by taking them to the park. You go on a walk, and you talk, and you sit on a bench next to a pond, and you pour out your heart to this person, and you tell them how much you care about them, and how much you want to help make them happy, and how much you want to help fulfill them. And just as you finish out pouring out all of your affection for them, they look at you and ask, Is this the date? When are we actually going to do something? And pretty soon you realize that, they were only hanging around with you for the things that you would give them. For the movie tickets, for the nights of free meals and entertainment. Wouldn't that break your heart? I can imagine that that's how Jesus must have felt. So he asks his apostles, the men he's grown closest to, whether or not they're planning on leaving too. 
would his most devoted disciples turn out to be fans who weren't willing to stick around when the teaching got tough? Was this group more focused on the crowds that Jesus attracted than on Jesus and his message of life? Would they abandon Jesus? And in John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, we read the response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Point number two is this. When you really know Jesus as Lord, you don't want to leave him. Peter's answer sums it up. To whom shall we go? And in that one question, it seems to ask a thousand questions. Who could lead us like you could? Who could teach us like you do? Who could possibly bring us closer to God? Why would we ever want to leave the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to you? How would we ever find someone else like you? See, fans bail on Jesus when his teachings get difficult. When he asks them to sacrifice, when he asks them to take up their cross, when he asks them to die to themselves, fans take off. And I don't think that they do that just because they prefer comfort. Because if they knew, I'm convinced their actions would reflect that knowledge. If they really knew Jesus, they wouldn't want to leave him. If they were guaranteed a ticket to heaven, if they had full assurance that Jesus was the Son of God, if they could complete, be completely and 100% positive that following Jesus would lead to an eternity with God and worship and joy in the very presence of the Most High, I'm confident that they would stick with it. Who wouldn't, right? If all of us believed and knew with every ounce of our being, we'd have much easier time swallowing some of the harder teachings in Scripture. If all of us knew and believed the way that those apostles did, I think we'd be willing to stand strong for God's teaching on justice when it came up among our friends and our colleagues. If all of us knew and believed that Jesus was Lord, I think that we'd approach the sharing of our faith in a very different way. But here's point number three. We don't know the way we wish so we don't believe the way we should. Let me repeat, we don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. The first half of that's a tough fact to face. We wish we could have it all laid out for us. We wish that God would write it in the sky or that he'd give us a vision or that he'd send us an angel to proclaim it to us, that he would speak audibly to us, that we could hear it in our physical ears. We wish that we got some unmistakable sign that he is alive and in charge and that Jesus is God's son. But life's not like that, is it? And it wasn't for the disciples either. Sure, they were able to witness the miracles, but eventually they had to choose to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Choosing to know and believe is a choice that we have to make, just like the disciples made. Because if we would believe with the same fire and passion that the apostles had, I think that our lives would look completely different. In the end, it comes down to whether Jesus is enough for you. And it comes down to whether or not you'll choose to move from being a fan to being a follower.
Check out this video in which Kyle Eidelman poignantly asked the question, are you a follower of Jesus? Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees. We will all die and we will all stand before God. When that moment comes to all of us, there's only one question that will really matter, is have you decided to follow Jesus? If I could, I would ask you that question differently because it's very personal. I wish I could come over to your house and knock on your door. Hopefully I could talk you into letting me come in and sit down for a few minutes. And I would want to sit across the kitchen table from you and look you in the eye and ask you this question. I know that when you hear me ask, have you decided to follow Jesus, many of you quickly nod your head yes and say, yeah, I'm a follower. But why do you say that? Because I'm not asking if your parents were followers. I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you say grace before meals or if you come to church. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I am asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Because one day there are many who say, I am a follower that will stand before God and be declared fans. Someday we're all going to stand before God and have to answer the question, are you a follower of Jesus? And that brings us to our final point. We don't know the day, but we know his name. It's true, we don't know the day that Christ will return. We don't know the day that our health will fail or our finances might plummet or when we'll die, and we never will. But even though we don't know the day, we know his name. And it is by his name that people are saved. It's not by going to church or doing any of the religious activities, but it's by being a follower of Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says something which drives home this fan or follower question. He says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you wicked people. These people crying out, Lord, Lord, in this passage, said they did all sorts of things. They kept the rules. They performed the rituals. They thought that they were the best of the best. But in the end, Jesus declares that they weren't followers. They were only fans. I know that none of us wants to be declared a fan on Judgment Day. And I know we aren't offered the guarantee that we want. But Jesus does offer a guarantee. Jesus guarantees that if you put your trust in him, he'll never fail you. He guarantees that if you stake your life on his message of truth, he will stake his life on your eternity with God. 
Jesus guarantees that if you put your trust and hope in him, he'll give you an eternity with God the Father. We don't know the, name, the day, but we know his name. And according to scripture, there is no other name under heaven or earth by which people can be saved. It is by his name alone that people are saved. But you have to decide. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? At the end of the day, being a fan isn't enough. Throughout this series, we've talked about how Jesus has issued an open invitation. Anyone and everyone is invited to choose to have a relationship with him. No matter who you are or what your past holds, no matter if others have told you that you're not welcome, Jesus invites you into a loving relationship with him. But he also tells us that if we're going to follow him, we have to follow him in everything. We have to put aside our own interests, our own desires, our allegiances to anything else, and follow him. It's not about a bunch of rules, but it's about refusing to leave his side and declaring, just as Jesus' apostles did, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, is Jesus enough for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come together and to hear from you. We thank you that you offer us your Son as the bread of life. Lord, we pray that we would not be coming to church, that we would not be seeking after Jesus just for the miracles or the show or the bread or the excitement. But we pray that in our hearts, Jesus would be enough for us, that following him would be the only thing that we desire. Give us the strength and the commitment to put aside our allegiances to anything and everything else and put our focus solely on Jesus Christ. So that when that day comes that we stand before the Father, we can declare, yes, Lord, we have decided to follow Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have just been fans. Lord, I pray that you would work in each individual who is watching this service, and each individual who is hearing this message. We pray that you would work through your churches in order to spread this message of the need to be followers of Christ. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forevermore. Amen.